is another win for Max Verstappen, who takes yet another chunk out of the championship lead from Charles Leclerc. But the real story this weekend was the city of Miami and the inaugural Miami Grand Prix. We will review the race, all the festivities surrounding this weekend, including a look at a report card of all the 10 teams that participated. Plus, we will take a look again at the cultural impact of the Formula One race in that city. It's the Overtake F1 podcast. I'm Tony Desiri. Thanks for joining us. And please subscribe if you like our podcast and you've been listening to it for a while. We want to help us build this up. So we thank you all for that. And if you want to be notified of new episodes, again, please subscribe. We do appreciate the support. You can also reach me on Twitter at Tony D Radio. We certainly would love to hear from you there. All right. So the Miami Grand Prix, this was years in the making. And my goodness, did it show. It was a spectacular atmosphere in the city of Miami. Now, remember, this is a city that is also dealing with the fact that their Miami Heat NBA team and their Florida Panthers NHL team are all in playoff battles. And so the city welcomed in Formula One and the entire week leading up to the race was really about this one particular event. Now, in some cases, it was a little over the top. I'm absolutely going to agree with that. Whenever you put on this kind of spectacle, you're going to do some things that are going to go, wow, what what are we doing here? But in the end, this was a major, major event on the American sports calendar. And I was really impressed with how much of an impression it had on the weekend. Like I said earlier, we're in the middle of the NBA playoffs across the country. NHL teams are playing in the postseason. You got Major League Baseball going on. The Kentucky Derby at Churchill Downs was on Saturday. So there was a lot going on this weekend. And the Miami Grand Prix garnered a lot of media hype and a lot of media attention. Think about this. It was on ABC television with a lot of our sporting events are going off to cable. This was on a major, major sport, you know, a, a television network. It's They had a 90-minute pre-race show. ESPN had a lot of coverage leading up to the race with their own personalities. Daniel Ricardo is on with... Uh, you know, Trevor Noah, Lewis Hamilton is on Good Morning America. It seemed like the American media was like ready to devour this thing because of two things. One, the resurgent popularity of Formula One in the United States. Thanks again to Drive to Survive. And also the fact that Miami's a sexy city. Let's be honest. It's a it's a celebrity rich city. And so you marry these two together. And that is what you get in terms of the energy and the excitement that was the Miami Grand Prix. And the city of Miami was all in on this race, as I said earlier. I mean, everybody that went to cover this thing said that the entire city was all in on what was going to go on at Miami Gardens over the weekend. And it certainly showed they opened their arms to the entire Formula One world. However, it was the first running at this circuit. And I went into this weekend not knowing what to expect. I'm trying to look at this from two sides. One, I love the fact that my country is getting another Formula One race, but I also want to know what kind of racing we're going to get. There were things certainly about this circuit that I really liked in terms of layout. I loved the speed. I thought that was great. I liked the long straight that was leading into the final turn. I thought there could be some really good overtaking there, especially with DRS and all those things. But I was also worried about a couple of other things. I think that chicane that led into the sh- into the straight, I thought that looked problematic to me. I didn't know how that was going to be um, a, a pr- an issue during the race. It ended up not being that big of an issue like I thought. I was really worried about it at the very beginning. But it didn't really cause any issues during the race. But there was Max Verstappen once again winning a Grand Prix in which he finishes the race. That has been his trend this season. If he finishes a race, he wins. He's got three victories on this season, two DNFs, and one sprint race victory. However, he did not qualify 
as well as he could have. He had the fastest car in qualifying, but on his final hot lap in Q3, he lost that provisional pole to Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz, sort of messed up coming out of a turn. So the two Ferraris are starting on the front row, and Verstappen gets a very nice jump, and it doesn't take him very long to take over P2 as he goes side-by-side side with Carlos Sainz into turn one. He is on the outside. He breaks late. He holds on to that line. Sainz backs up a bit, and next thing you know, Verstappen is in P2 on pursuit of Leclerc. Now, it was noticeable all weekend, of course, that Red Bull had really good straight line speed, and Max was keeping that gap to Leclerc pretty tight early early on. That gap was within a second or so for the early part of the race, and then when they activated DRS, there was a pretty good feeling that Verstappen was going to get the lead of this race, and he does so on lap nine. He makes his move down the front stretch, getting DRS and going into turn one with the lead. From there, he starts to take off, and he starts to, you know, extend his lead over Charles Leclerc. Meanwhile, right behind him, Joe Guan Yu, he gets out early for Alfa Romeo and the two Aston Martin drivers, Lance Stroll and Sebastian Vettel, were at the rear of the pack after needing to start from the pit lane due to mechanical and temperature issues. So that was going on behind them. The tire choices at the start of the Grand Prix were mediums for most of the drivers with a few taking on hards to start. George Russell, who did not have a very good qualifying, went with the hards. Esteban Ocon, who started 20th on the grid after he suffered some chassis damage in practice, and that prevented him from making a run and qualifying on Saturday. You had Stroll, Vettel, Nicholas Latifi, all of those drivers starting on the hard compound tire. But back up front, Leclerc did not have the speed in the straights to challenge Red Bull, and Verstappen starts to pull away as the laps are clicking off. Seven laps after he took the lead, Max had a lead of nearly four seconds. And the possibility of Ferrari executing a successful undercut with that kind of gap started to dwindle away. And so now you're just hoping there's a safety car if you wanted to tighten that up. More on that in a second. So behind the two leaders, Carlos Sainz and Sergio Perez were having a pretty good battle. That was until about 20 laps in, Perez loses some of his power, so he falls back in his pursuit of Sainz for P3. Now, they estimated on the broadcast that he dropped about 27 horsepower with that sensor issue. Now, the first round of pit stops are starting to occur around lap 20 to 25 in the Grand Prix. The mediums are starting to wear down. Leclerc came in on lap 25. Not a bad start, but it was an excellent, and they really did need excellent. Verstappen came in on lap 27, two laps later. He easily covered the Leclerc stop, and Verstappen returned in second place behind Carlos Sainz, who had yet to pit, and Carlos Sainz came in one lap later, and Verstappen regained the lead of the Grand Prix. Sainz did have a bad pit stop, and then that tightened up his battle with Checo a little bit for P3. So Verstappen has a very nice cushion, and this race starts to look rather dull, right? I mean, it's one of those leaders is just way ahead. You're looking for something, anything to sort of tighten up this race. And to be honest with you, I know with all the glitz and glamour of Formula One and some new eyeballs, I was kind of hoping that it wouldn't be one of those things where people go, yeah, they kept telling me to watch Formula One. And what do we got? A leader who won by 15 seconds. But in the end, you had a safety car and that came on lap 41 when Lando Norris tagged Pierre Gasly, who was coming back onto the track after he lost it and went off the track a bit. 
and Lando loses his right side rear tire that brought out the virtual safety car and then the full safety car that followed. So this became an incredible break for the audience because now they were going to see the field bunch up a little bit with about 10 laps or so to go. It was also a huge benefit for George Russell. He started on the hard tires and was able to get fresh tires and not really lose a place. He stayed in the top 10 right behind Lewis Hamilton. Verstappen now had Leclerc on his bumper, and if the Ferrari was going to get the win, they needed to get past Verstappen and then find a way to hold him off in the three DRS zones because Verstappen was really, really quick. So the green flag waves on lap 47. Verstappen gets a good jump on Leclerc and continues to lead the race. Now, Leclerc seemed to be able to attack Verstappen at various points in the final 10 laps. He made some nice moves to try to pass Max, and Max fought back like you would expect. And it was starting to look promising that we might see a real fight to the finish. I mean, I remember Martin Brundle in the broadcast saying, like, Leclerc's got some new life. I mean, he was really fighting to try to grab that position away. But then Max defends just one time too many for the attack and he gets that lead and he gets a cushion and that was enough. He put a little distance between the two drivers, even with DRS Leclerc couldn't get enough, um, enough run to make any sort of passing attempt. So now behind the two leaders, however, we had some really interesting developments. Okay. Carlos Sainz was able to hold back Sergio Perez and finish third. And that was a great fight towards the end. Perez was less than a second behind and was able to pass Sainz down the front stretch into turn one, but kind of overcooked it a little bit. Sainz was able to get the lead back. So what you had was in the final couple of laps, you had Red Bull holding back Ferrari in the front. Then you had Ferrari holding back Red Bull for P3. Mercedes had both of their drivers going head to head with George Russell finishing once again ahead of Lewis Hamilton. And Russell, of course, got that huge boost from the safety car. Hamilton, he decided to stay out. He didn't want to risk losing position. They even asked Hamilton what he wanted to do. And he's like, hey, that's not my job. You're supposed to give me this information. Now, just a side note, Russell is the only driver to finish in the top five in all five of the races so far this season. So it ended up a good win for Max Verstappen, a good result for Ferrari. Mercedes had their two drivers in the top 10. So let's go over the weekend and our report card for all of the 10 teams coming out of the Miami Grand Prix. And then later on, we'll discuss again, this one single event for United States F1 viewers. All right, let's start with Red Bull. It's another great weekend for the team. They had Verstappen on top of the podium. Sergio Perez finished fourth. They probably would have liked to do better having Sergio Perez in the, you know, in the podium ceremony. I'm sure they would have loved it. But in the end, both cars finished the Grand Prix. Perez had suffered that power drop off, overcooked in a late pass attempt of Carlos Sainz. So in the end, yeah, there were some issues. No doubt about it. If he doesn't have those issues, it's possible that for, that Red Bull is 1-2 on top of the podium. But at least they would have been 1-3. Uh, Verstappen had the dominant car of the race. There's no question about it. It was really easy to see the advantage that Red Bull has, especially in that straight line. It didn't take them long to get that lead. Again, going from P3 right to the front, took them about nine laps, and then he got it and then he was dominating the race that late pressure that was coming from the safety car was really fun it was very enjoyable to watch it definitely added some spice to this race but again the big takeaway was Red Bull's got this thing dialed in right now and we'll see what that means to this championship fight going forward right it was his third victory of the season you had a sprint race win the two DNFs he is gaining on the championship he was trailing by 27 he's now trailing by 19 
That's a nice, good chunk of change that he was able to get out of this Grand Prix. He continues to do this. We're going to have a tight race. What, out of Monaco? We're going to have a tight you know, championship battle when it looked like Ferrari was going to run away with this after Australia. Now, speaking of Ferrari, it was a good weekend for them. Podium finishes for both drivers. I know they would have liked to have won this Grand Prix and sort of put a little bit more cushion between them and Max Verstappen in the Drivers' Championship and in the Constructors as well. But again, they had both of their drivers in the top five, in the top three. They're both on the podium. They got a front row lockout on Saturday. Now, this was only because Verstappen kind of had messed up his final hot lap attempt. But once DRS was enabled in this race, Leclerc just couldn't hold him back. I mean, that was... That was basically it. Verstappen was that strong. And Carlos Sainz kept Sergio Perez behind him, but it was a power issue on Red Bull that certainly helped him do that. Let's remember that the last two races, Sainz did find himself out early. So getting not only a finish, but a podium finish is a great bounce back for him after a disastrous result in both Australia and, of course, Imola. Mercedes, Hamilton finishing sixth, where he started on the grid, but it was Russell that really moved up. He went from P12 at the start of the Grand Prix to P5, and then had everything to do again with the rival of the safety car. He had started on the higher tires. He kind of fell back in the pack, but once he got it going, he started to make himself back up through the field. It was kind of disappointing. Like at one point on Friday, he had the fastest car in the practice session. And a lot of people are saying, oh, he had it set up right, whatever. I, I don't care. It's got to be disappointing to feel like you had a really good time in a Friday practice, then to not qualify well, and then to be finishing in the again in the top five, but feeling like you could have gotten some more. Feeling like maybe, just maybe, you could have been really competitive. But... It was kind of disappointing for him in that way. But again, he's the only driver to finish in the top five in all five races. So how disappointed could he possibly be? Hamilton, however, he got unlucky again with this safety car, just like in Jetta. He just, that just didn't time out for him. He didn't make up any ground. And again, and here's the other thing that, that I know it keeps getting brought up. He keeps finishing behind his teammate. He once again finished behind George Russell in this Grand Prix. But again, here's Mercedes. They are the best of the rest, if you will. McLaren. Not a good weekend for them, despite having David Beckham in the garage. Lando Norris with the DNF after he hit Pierre Gasly, who was coming back onto the track after going wide. Daniel Ricciardo finished 13th, said afterwards that he spent more time defending than he was attacking. Andreas Seidel said the circuit really didn't fit their car very well, but they were looking to get a few points with Norris before he was taken out of the race. Ricciardo started P14. He couldn't get much going. He was caught up in the in a DRS train. So overall, a very poor weekend for McLaren. Things just really didn't bounce their way. Alfa Romeo, this was sort of a mixed bag for the Swiss team because Valtteri Bostas finished P7, and that is actually a bit of a disappointment because he was in the top five before losing out to both Mercedes drivers. Kind of went a little too wide, and Mercedes, uh, both Russell and Hamilton, were able to overtake him. He was looking at a pretty good finish, but still, it is points for Bostas, who continues to bring them to the team. Zhou Guan Yu retired early due to a mechanical issue. He was the first driver out of the race. Williams. It is incredible how Alex Albon continues to get the best out of this car. Seriously, he got points on Sunday, finishing P9, and he didn't have any problems with traffic moving up nine spots from a P18 qualifying effort. There was some attrition around him, no doubt about it, but he remained untouched. Just another great run for him. 
I mean, he had the excellent run at Australia where he made those hard tires work all the way to the end, made a quick pit stop, finished in, you know, in the, got a point out of the steal, had a good run in Imola despite finishing just outside the points. And now he got points on Sunday with a P9 finish. Nicholas Latifi, however, P14. And he didn't really benefit from the safety car having already pitted before it came out. So another bad run for Nicholas Latifi. Now, for Haas, they were looking good with both Mick Schumacher and Kevin Magnussen. Both were running near the points, which for Mick would have been like his first points in Formula One, right? So how exciting was that? But it wasn't to be because their cars were like magnets to the Aston Martin. I mean, seriously, magnets. Schumacher ran into Vettel. Magnussen had problems with Lance Stroll. Neither driver finished in the points. Magnussen had a DNF and Schumacher finishing P15. Alpha Tauri, really disappointing for the team with a DNF for Pierre Gasly, who had contact with Lando Norris that brought out the safety car. He had the car sixth early in the race and then suffered some damage after colliding with Fernando Alonso. He started going backwards, had a hard time keeping it on the track. His contact with Norris came after he slid off the circuit and he was making his way back on. He just didn't see Lando. Yuki Tsunoda finished 12th after getting passed early, couldn't make up any ground. Both drivers did really well in qualifying. They both made it to Q3 and started in the top 10. So a very disappointing day for AlphaTauri. Aston Martin, both drivers had to start from the pit lane with a fuel temperature issue. Both started on the hard tires after a long run strategy. Sebastian Vettel had the car near the top 10, but tangled up with Mick Schumacher and had to retire the car. He was stuck in traffic pretty much the whole race. Lance Stroll did get a point for the team with a P10 finish, but had contact with Kevin Magnussen. Both were able to pit during the safety car, but felt eh, that they weren't really able to take advantage of that uh, with the contact both the drivers suffered. Alpine, is Esteban Ocon the driver of the day? What a performance. He crashed in practice so badly that he had to miss qualifying on Saturday and had to start at the back of the grid. He started on the hard tires, made that work, moving up the field and then benefited from the safety car. He finished P8. What a run. His engineering team, by the way, deserves a huge round of applause for this effort. Fernando Alonso finished just outside the points. It felt like he was battling everybody on Sunday. Contact with Hamilton, contact with Pierre Gasly, um, and he ended up P11. So again, a good race for Esteban Ocon and Again, Fernando Alonso just outside the points. All right, so those are all 10 teams from the Miami Grand Prix. So let's get to the Miami Grand Prix as an event. Now, I love the fact that America is embracing Formula One. I love it. I love because that's one of the reasons I started this podcast. There's no question about it. And again, seeing it in a city like Miami, if you were to look around our country and say which ones are the sort of celebrity cities, it's Las Vegas, it's Los Angeles, New York and Miami. It is a glamorous, right? It is in a glamour setting of rich celebrities. But in the end, that's not where the bread and butter of this sport is going to be. How many of those celebrities that were walking around the grid knew exactly what was going to go on? Yeah, it's a motor race, sure, but they're not necessarily Formula One fans. Now, that's not to say that they weren't. And JJ and TJ Watt were there. They were kind of with Haas. You know, they've been addicted to drive to survive. And I'm certain there were other celebrities that were in the on the grid in the paddock that really did know Max Verstappen is the world champion and Lewis Hamilton is a seven time champion and Ferrari has got a very good team this year. I'm sure there were plenty who followed the sport, but like anytime you bring celebrities to a sporting event in America, many of them don't really know what's going on. They're getting paid to be there. They're being invited to be there. It's the place to be seen. And definitely the Miami Grand Prix is a place to be seen. 
Look, I love Austin. It's one of my favorite cities in America, but it's not Miami. And no one would mistaken Austin, Texas for Miami. But the reality of it is the celebrities come out there too. And if they're going to go to Austin, they sure as hell is going to go to Miami. There's no question about that. And Las Vegas, I think, is going to be even worse if you don't like the celebrity culture of the United States and its marriage with Formula One. Right. When I watch Martin Brundle on the grid talking to celebrities and he doesn't even know who they are, I think it's kind of fun. But I also wonder if it's a goof that's being played on the American public. Like Martin Brundle knows, you know, that he's kind of doing this in a way that's tongue in cheek, making fun of all of the celebrities that are there. I kind of wonder if that's really the case because he keeps putting himself in these positions on doing these grid walks, talking to celebrities he doesn't really know. And he tries to force Formula One questions on them and they don't even know. So part of me thinks that the joke is on us, right? Like, it, like people are like, oh, poor Martin Brundle. When he knows exactly what he's doing and Sky Sports knows exactly what they're doing. I think it's kind of amusing. I said so on my radio show on Monday. I think it's kind of fun. But as far as the racing goes, and this is the key for me, Formula One is not always exciting. It's not always drama filled. The races, as we all know, can be rather boring. Look up what's going to happen in two weeks in Barcelona and look up Monaco. Those aren't great races. They're great race atmospheres, if you will, but they're not great racing. There was some good racing here. There really was. There was some good battles. It may not have been up at front. Max Verstappen in a dominant car, but there was a show at the end of this thing. Whether or not Charles Leclerc could get by Verstappen, you know, that that didn't happen. But the reality of it is the last 10 laps of this Grand Prix were pretty exciting. Now, the question is, all the new fans that kind of jumped in on this because of the hype and all of the promotion of the Miami Grand Prix, what will they think of Barcelona and Monaco if the racing isn't all that entertaining? To me, I think the thing that this sport does well is something that is very, very foreign to the American audience. And that is this. In the United States, we tend to look at who won the championship and then everybody else lost. To me, that is different than Formula One, where teams not only try to be competitive, they try to outdo their realistic expectation. And when they do, they're genuinely excited about that result. Now, don't get me wrong. We do a little bit of that in our NBA, NFL, Major League Baseball. We do a little bit of that. If a team overachieves from our expectation. I mean, if you're an NFL team that was predicted to win three, three, you know, get three wins with a rookie quarterback and you make a significant run towards a playoff berth but come up short, there's genuinely like excitement going into the next season. So don't get me wrong. But what I'm saying is we could have a race which Red Bull wins, Ferrari comes in second, but um, Haas picks up points, right? Or Williams gets points or Esteban Ocon finishes P9 after starting 20th on the grid. And those little bit, those stories that occur within the Grand Prix, they they add to the overall picture. It isn't Max Verstappen just won the Miami Grand Prix and everything else is irrelevant. There were relevant results at the end of this. There's a way we can dissect how this race 
came through for everybody. It's one of the reasons that in my review, I give a full team report card because it isn't always just about Red Bull or Ferrari winning or Mercedes winning or whatever it may be year to year, that the teams have their own expectations of what is reasonable for them in terms of their competitiveness. And did they exceed that or was it disappointing based on what they thought they could do? Nobody on Alfa Romeo thinks they're going to beat Max Verstappen head to head. Nobody. Right. But but they can win a Grand Prix if there's some attrition or something happens. And we've seen that over and over again. That's a little foreign to the American sports public. Right. Where we, we kind of get accustomed to who, you know, second is the first loser mentality. And I wonder how much that will play to an American audience, because I think those are the things that are kind of really interesting to, to contrast the way we view sports here in this country. But overall, overall, again, I am happy that for the for the first time in my lifetime, Formula One races are being taken seriously that are held in the United States because they've come to the United States many times, as many of you know. And yet there has never been hype and hoopla. The 2005 disaster in Indianapolis. I barely remember that being a big story here in this country. And I was doing sports radio at the time and I followed that race at the time. But I don't remember everybody else jumping up and down, screaming how horrible it was. That was a Formula One issue, but in the American media didn't really pay attention to it other than to sort of make fun of it when there was only a handful of cars on the grid due to the protest. The sport has been in the United States many times. Nothing like this. Nothing like this. Las Vegas is going to be Miami plus 10 when they go there next year. And Miami was as glamorous and glitzy and showboaty as I've seen any event here in the United States. But it's going to be that way when the United States hosts the World Cup. It is that way when the United States hosts the Olympics. Anytime there's a major kind of world event where the world media sort of comes into this country, we bring out every single famous person we possibly can to showcase our celebrity culture. And whether or not that's good or bad, I'll let you guys decide. For me, I just hope the sport was enticing enough. I hope the competitiveness was enticing enough to continue to grow this audience. I hope people didn't watch, see some celebrities and go, I don't really want to be a part of this. Fake marina, fake water, and think to themselves, this is a sport for the rich and famous. We have those moments. Of course, Monte Carlo is a glamorous city. Of course it is. It's been that way since it started running Grand Prix through the streets of uh, uh, through their streets. Right. Abu Dhabi. Look at Abu Dhabi and the yachts that are on the water. But it's not always about that. Right. It's not always about that. And that's what I hope that the, that we get that the audience of America sees Formula One for the competitiveness of the teams, the eliteness of the drivers, the eliteness of these cars, the engineering that goes behind them, the global nature of this driving and racing around the world. That's what I hope. That's what I hope. The different circuits and the different layouts. That is my hope for this. So again, all the celebrities aside, I thought this was a good race. I don't think it was a great race. I don't think it was terrible either. I think it was somewhere in the middle. But for the first race for this city and for the first race for a lot of people experiencing Formula One for the first time in the United States, I think it'll do. I think it'll do. 
All right, we will come back uh, in about a week or so. We'll give you our preview of Barcelona and get ready for the Spec Grand Prix and, of course, have a review of that race. Thank you all for listening. Again, I can't stress this enough. Please subscribe to the channel if you like what we're doing and never miss an episode. Also, leave us a five-star review. That really helps us grow the channel. And if you could, share it with your friends who are also Formula One fans. We keep seeing this grow and grow and grow, and we love it, so we thank all of you very much. Again, if you want to hit me up on Twitter, you can, at Tony D Radio. I'd love to hear your thoughts and, and comments on Formula One. So let me know about that. I'm Tony Deziri, and this is the Overtake F1 podcast. We'll see you in a week for the Barcelona preview.